Hello, listeners. In this very special episode of Latchkey Dads, we have the first part in a two-part interview with John Bermuda Schwartz. John is the longtime drummer and friend of Weird Al Yankovic. He was kind enough to come on our show and talk about all things Weird Al, as well as his very own cool and unique career. Enjoy! Welcome to this very special episode of Latchkey Dads. Greg and I are very excited to talk with our guest today. He has performed in 12 countries. He's performed on The Tonight Show, Rockin' New Year's Eve, Nickelodeon, The Simpsons, and The Late Show with Jimmy Fallon, to name a few. He has performed on 31 gold, platinum, and double platinum albums with five gold and platinum singles and three Grammy Awards. We could go on and on, (laughs) but without further ado, we welcome John Bermuda Schwartz, longtime friend and drummer for none other than Weird Al Yankovic. Thanks for joining us today, John. Oh, thank you. Very good to be here. So you've archived an incredible collection of photos and memorabilia over the years, and you just released your second book, Lights, Camera, Accordion, Eye-Popping Photographs of Weird Al Yankovic, 1981 to 2006. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Uh, Tell us about the process of uh, sifting through all those amazing pieces of history and photographs. Wow. Well, it's it's fortunately the uh, publisher and and editors of of the book were able to go through and and sort out photos. I mean, I I narrowed down several thousand photos to about eight hundred and fifty, and I couldn't get past that. I thought they were all great, and and we just couldn't do a book that big. Sure. And uh, and I even I ran them by all the guys in the band. I ran them by Al. I said, please, if there's anything in here you don't like, I mean, help me out. I I need to get the number down. Anything you can do. And I think. I think I was able to shave about five photos off the whole thing. So they, they were of no help at all. They, they liked them all too. Uh, but the uh, editors of the book, uh, Shane and Desiree Lewis, who are uh, Al fans as well, had a, a bit of a different eye on the photos than obviously I could. And they were able to get them down to uh, uh, about 300, 301 photos, I think, are in all the chapters. And I, I could not have done that. And they made really good choices. I mean, there was almost nothing that I thought should have been in there that didn't make it. I mean, all the photos really deserve to be there. And I'm very happy that they could do that because I just, I couldn't do it. I, it's, you know, I mean, a, too subjective for me. <laughs> yeah. And going through it, I mean, the, the photos that are in there, they're, they're so fun. And, and uh, I mean, obviously for us to be able to kind of be on the journey to some level and, and see all that history is, is really fun. So. Uh, well, thanks. Well, again, the editors did a good job. They put the stuff out there that they knew the fans would like. And uh, uh, I, they chose wisely. So I'm very happy with that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, John, if I may, uh, I would just like to say that I'm, I'm really a big fan of you and the band and Weird Al ever since I was 10 years old. You know, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, Weird Al was a big, fantastic part of my childhood. Uh, and it, growing up, it was great knowing that it was okay to be weird. So that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's not only okay, it's very profitable uh, as well. <laughs> Apparently, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, so with the book that, uh, uh, your, your new book, uh, lights, camera, accordion, uh, it's really cool. Uh, looking through all those great pictures made me feel like I was reliving parts of my youth all over again. Uh, and when you have an, a subject as iconic as weird Al, it's great to see a retrospect of all of those cool and crazy things that you guys did together. Mm-hmm. W- was there any specific pictures that maybe you'd forgotten about? And then when you came across them, like made you pause and smile? Well, there were several like that. I, I generally, when I when I had the photos developed, I almost always got two sets of prints. 
uh, I kept one, so that was the archive. <laughs> and then whoever was in the other prints, I would give them copies. Uh, but there, but that wasn't really the rule. I mean, there were evidently a lot of those that I had either given away the only copy or given away both copies. And so I saw as I was scanning all of these and reliving, you know, my my uh, youth and and my times with Alan, all that. Uh, I was seeing a lot of photos that I didn't remember, and and that I know I don't have copies of. And it's like that's that's a good photo. It's like you know I understand why I must have given it away. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was too good for me to keep. Uh, I, I don't know how many of those made it in the book. I mean, again, all of the photos in the book are, are special and, and, you know, it was cool to relive my, uh, you know, a lot of my life. I mean, the, my photo archiving started, you know, scanning stuff from the early seventies. So it wasn't just Al, uh, it was, it was, you know, everything in my life, you know, but 25 years of that on film was Al as well. And, uh, and that was the impetus for this book. I hadn't really considered a second book. Uh, but when I saw all these photos, I thought, you know, there's a bunch of good color photos, even the ones that have been seen online or some of them have been published before. Those were all taken from prints that I had mm -hmm. scanned and, and retouched as best I could, but they were no better than the four by six prints that I had. And when I was seeing the scans from the negatives and how clean they were and, and the dynamic in them and, and how crisp they were. I was like, no, these are much better. These, you know, anything they've seen before needs to be seen again and a lot more. So there are some photos that are recognizable in there. It's like, I, I think I've seen that before. You know, if it was online, unfortunately, you know, they were seeing it probably in a, in a very low res crunchy state, you know, because I started putting up photos back in 95 uh, of, of Al and, and stuff. And with the screen resolutions in the day, 640 by 480, 800 yeah. by 600, if you had a nice screen, uh, you had a, you know, if you filled up the screen with a photo by today's standards, it's pretty small. Yeah. And with yeah. dial-up speeds, I had to make, I had to really crunch them. And so I wasn't that concerned about quality as much as just getting the photo out there. So any photos that they've seen before are are either somewhat too vastly inferior to what's in the book. And I realized, you know, I, I thought it's nice to put these out again, like remastering an old album and, yeah. and really improving it sure. uh, as the Beatles have done many times. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that's what's happened with these photos and the reaction to the book has been really good. And I'm very happy about that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, kind of jumping into the, the your process of, of being a drummer, um, playing drums on a, on a Weird Al album must be like playing with a dozen different bands, you know, all in, in, in you know, one album. Um, did you ever have the opportunity to collaborate with any of the drummers or did you just have to figure out um, how to replicate that music and, and all the percussion elements uh, on your own? I, I don't, I, I've met a number of the drummers who I've imitated. Uh, I don't think I ever chatted with them up front about, uh, you know, any hints, hints or tips they could give me. I was just kind of on my own. We were all on our own to listen carefully and replicate as carefully as, as our ability. And, and, you know, later with a lot of dance and rap music, as, you know, <laughs> as the technology allowed us to. And we did, we learned a lot. You know, I grew a lot as a player. I grew a lot as a programmer and a sound designer for all of the uh, drum and percussion sounds that uh, I had to face later. I mean, there's not some magical producer somewhere that, you know, did all that stuff for us. Mm -hmm. uh, we we were on our own and, and we all learned and grew and, and it was a great process. You know, I, I'm way ahead of um, where I would have been without Al. So, you know, I'm, I'm very happy for all of that. Sure. And just as a quick follow-up, um, you guys started obviously before the internet was really even available to the public. 
Um, obviously that's changed over the course of the many years you've been performing. Has that sort of changed your process at all with the access to, you know, information immediately? Has that played into it at all or no? Not, not as much. I mean, really, as far as doing the songs, it's, it's just a listen, you know, you, you listen carefully and that's the first step. And there's really, that's about all you can do. I mean, I really had nowhere to go to ask anybody, you know, even with the internet, you know, it was really, you know, there, it's a great knowledge base and, you know, it's a ton of information, but, you know, nobody was doing the things that I was doing, you know, nobody that I had access to anyway. I, I really couldn't ask anyone, how was this done? Or, you know, or what do you think this is? I just had to think of it myself. And and I wasn't able to know what was done, so I had to listen carefully and think. Well, what would I do? You know, what are the elements of that sound? Uh, what would I do to replicate it? You know, as as closely as possible. How much of that is just studio magic? You know, how much of it is EQ or processing that I'm really not set up to do? You know, here at home. Uh, although a lot of that I did figure out later on. Uh, you know, actually, I I think eventually a lot of sounds and stuff became available online a lot of uh, different remixes of the songs. Some of these songs became available online. And I was able to go in and listen more carefully, in some cases actually sample uh, some of the sounds if they were in the clear. Mm -hmm. And was able to, you know, get pretty close. But, you know, 90% of the time, honestly, I, I had to do this stuff all myself. And uh, the internet was, in, in that respect, was of, of little help. Yeah. No, it's amazing. I mean, the way you guys have been able to replicate the, the sounds and and uh, you know the score, you know, behind the song, it's 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 really amazing. And oh, thank you, fantastic, Thanks. yeah, <laughs> really cool. <laughs> um, speaking of like the band, um, it's amazing that the band has been together for I think forty years. Um, I can't think of any rock band that's been together that long. Uh, is there some secret? How do, how do there, you guys do? There is another rock band. There's U uh, two has been together with oh, the okay. same members, uh, <laughs> uh, slightly longer than we have. I think. Uh, no, you know what? There's there's and until recently, you know, I guess Rush would have counted. Yep. Uh, although you know Neil Peart was not the original drummer, but close enough. Uh, <laughs> you know, Z on, and and again until recently, ZZ Top. You know, but with the loss of uh, was it Dusty Hill? I forgot yes, who passed yeah. away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, with with his loss. Now that hasn't stopped them from going back out and playing. But you know, with the original members, yeah, we're we're one of just a handful. You know, literally, U two is the only other band <laughs> that hasn't had any member changes and is still active. And uh, I think their their last album may have also been a number one album. I'm not I'm not sure. So, you know, we're, we're in good company or they're yeah. in good company, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and speaking of that, I mean, you know, the, the great musicians and, and celebrities that you guys have come in contact with over the years, was there ever a moment where you, you kind of caught yourself and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm talking with, you know, John, John Bermuda Schwartz right now, you know, that's, that's really cool. What, did you ever have any of those moments yourself? I pro probably, I mean, we've run into, you know, thanks to Al, you know, who will have, you know, different friends of his, you know, well-known celebrities, uh, you know, other people in, you know, and not just in music, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they'll be backstage at, at the shows in some of the bigger cities. And it's, it was cool to, you know, say hello to Lin-Manuel Miranda, for example, mm -hmm. sure. you know, yeah. to, to uh, Alice Cooper, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's just, it was, uh, you know, there have been a few, and I've yeah. I've met uh, a couple of my drumming heroes. Not always through Al, but mm -hmm. uh, you know I've I've got to meet a, a number of drummers that I probably wouldn't have met if I was not Bermuda. You know, I'm just <laughs> if I was just some other fanboy, uh, yeah. you know, I I wouldn't have uh, you know maybe met Hal Blaine for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's been pretty cool. I mean, it's uh, you know there's there's a bit of celebrity that goes along with working for a celebrity. 
And that's yeah. nice. Uh, you know, I was just uh, before uh, the pandemic, I did get to go see Nick Mason of Pink Floyd. He came around with a saucer full of secrets and he was in his seventies and he sounded, you know, just like the album. So he was going strong at 70 something, which is pretty cool. Well, we may have that chance. We're all in our sixties. <laughs> Actually, our bass player has crossed over. Not that way. No, he, no, he's, he's, in, he crossed over 70. No, no, yeah, uh, yeah. He'll be, when we go back out uh, uh, in February and March, he will have just turned 72. Wow. Okay. But you yeah. know what, as, as you, as you approach that age and as you, you know, get into your sixties, it's like, you're not old. I mean, things mm -hmm. happen, but you're not, you're not so old that you forget or can't play again, unless you have some physical thing sure. going on. Uh, I, I feel, you know, I'm 66 and I, I feel, and, and I hope I play like I did when I was 26. You know, I think I play better, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I certainly don't play worse. Uh, you know, I, I feel exactly the same. I'm not any more tired or, or worn out or anything at the end of a night. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, and I'm not in necessarily great shape. I just, you know, it, it, the idea, you know, when I was maybe in my twenties or thirties that I might still be playing drummers in my sixties, you know, probably, you know, seemed very far-fetched. And now it's like, no, it's no, no different. You know, I'm on Medicare now. So if anything happens, <laughs> I'm good. And, uh, and that's about it. But, you know, age is not, you know, some people get old, you know, in their fifties and some people keep going into their eighties, you know, or, or into their nineties. I mean, you got Tony Bennett, who is only just finally showing signs of, you know, kind of not being able to keep up her performance. I mean, yeah. at 94 or 95 or whatever he is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it speaks to passion, you know, when you're passionate about something age, you know, it just doesn't matter, you know? And, well, def definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think age is, is, you know, again, you know, barring any physical uh, disabilities or, or issues, age is just a state of mind and you can, you can get old very quickly or you can stay young forever. You know, it's yeah. just, and I think it's kind of up to the individual. It's a very subjective choice. And I think I've, you know, I, I still think I'm in my twenties, you know, in, in terms of the way I approach things. Likewise, you know, I've just, I've just, <laughs> I've just done a lot more and I've got a lot more experience, but I mean, as far as my, you know, approach and attitude, you know, I still feel young. Yeah. Cool. So my son is 14 years old, William, and he plays the drums. Would, would you have any advice for such a young drummer to, to, to you know, what could they do to, to get better or? Uh, listen, you know, listen to things, listen to what dr other drummers are doing. You know, now granted on a lot of today's music, a lot of the, uh, the drum parts are programmed, you know, but there's also, there's a ton of stuff where there are live players and, you know, doing some cutting edge stuff and doing some simple stuff. I mean, uh, you know, give him a chance to listen to, you know, the rock era is pretty lengthy. I mean, you know, we're coming <laughs> up on, you know, 65 years of, of rock music that has not changed a whole lot. I mean, some of the technology has changed and, you know, uh, but, you know, as far as the drummer, you know, a lot of the stuff is the same. You know, a lot of today's songs have the same parts that were going on in the 60s, you know, you know, some very basic rock parts. And that's what the drums basically do. So have him listen to those kind of things. Have him listen to Ringo. Have him okay. listen to Fleetwood Mac. Have him listen okay. to, you know, some... Uh, uh, I don't know, some Genesis, uh, some, okay. you know, I mean, just have him listen to a bunch of different stuff. Uh, some Frank Zappa, maybe. Oh, and okay. let and let him hear a lot of different styles of drumming, a lot of different techniques, uh, you know, a lot of different, you know, some things are very simple, some things are complicated, and they all have a place. 
you know, you can you can tell him and he won't believe it for a long time, but you can <laughs> tell him that that nine out of ten times playing the simpler stuff is where you make the money. If okay. if that's a concern or if you know <laughs> if it's a concern about and not just make the money, but as far as the amount of groups that out nine out of ten drummers out there are playing kind of straight ahead stuff. And and that's the stuff that people were playing, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And it still holds up. You know, now the sounds are a little bit different sometimes, but you know, that's not always the drummer's job. You know, that's somebody who's who's put the mic on the drum and goes back, you know, into a control room or out to the front of house and and tweaks it. That's their job to control some of the sounds. But as far as the parts, nine out of ten times, very, very straight ahead stuff. But it's also good to know more. It's good to know a lot more than you do. So have him learn it all and, okay. <laughs> you know, have him get together with uh, friends of his that are learning guitars, piano, uh, bass, horn players, maybe, okay. uh, you know, uh, jazz is good, um, you know, jazz and swing, you know, kind of stuff. Uh, old, you know, if there's some old Dixieland charts you can get, <laughs> have him play some Beatles songs, have him play some Stones, uh, introduce him to Led Zeppelin. Uh, you know, there's just Keith Moon with the Who. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, but. Again, you would never do those kind of parts with anyone but the who. But <laughs> yeah, just have him have him listen. Have him listen to a lot of stuff and and uh, and try different things. And he'll find certain okay. things he likes. He may just like playing straight ahead stuff, like I like playing straight ahead stuff. Okay. And and those are the kind of gigs I do. And uh, you know, I've been lucky to have it turn into a career. Very cool. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> And, you know, speaking to that, as far as the the process of, you know, just for you to drum on, you know, out, you know, whether it be a, at a gig or, or out, you know, on, on tour, um, was there any, any, ever any time where something ex extremely unexpected happened where, you know, you put in the category of a weird situation that, <laughs> you know, either, you know, something technically went wrong or, you know, something like that? Uh, not with me so much as with, with uh, uh, you know, our, our well, first off, Al has walked off the front of the stage a few times. <laughs> and I, I should remind people that that's anywhere from like four to six feet, you know, yeah. to where the audience sits. Sure. Uh, and he just with the lights in his eyes, he just didn't know where the front of the stage mm -hmm. and wearing his accordion. Oh, uh, there, oh were, wow. there were two occasions uh, where that happened. And uh, uh, it was and he's in good shape. I mean, a, a fall like that. I, I remember sometime back in the 90s or uh, he had taken a, a spill. We were playing up north in California and, and uh, it was an outdoor stage. And he had taken, uh, was during the, the our, our medley of songs and he had the accordion on and, and was doing something. And all of a sudden it just, it stopped. And we heard this kind of accordion groan <laughs> and we looked over and Al was gone. And he had, he had fallen off the front of the stage. And I think somebody wanted, as, as our guys were going down to, to uh, get him, I think I, I heard something like drum solo you know, to, <laughs> to take a little time. Anyway, he came back and finished the show. He was moving a little slow and, uh, you know, went went to the hospital and they looked at his leg and he'd sprained his thigh or his leg or something. But, you know, any of the rest of us, we, we would have broken a leg or an arm or a rib <laughs> or something like that. And, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and on the other, on the technology side, uh, for many years, we've been using uh, video and and audio tracks keyed off the video uh you know to bring in you know certain horn parts or maybe certain female vocals things we just percussion parts things that as a 
four piece band plus Al up front, we just can't do, you know, and, and at the risk of not playing the song, you know, sort of playing a bar band version of a song, we want to do, you know, people have paid good money to come in. We want to make it sound, you know, full, you know, not always mm -hmm. just like the record, but, you know, we want, we want to try. And so we have different, different video things, different, uh, you know, eventually we got into like computer servers for the, for both the audio and video. And I remember specifically back in 2003, we had a, a server that was constantly breaking down and constantly just like freezing, you know, like crashing, I guess. Yeah. And, and we, uh, and sometimes we could get, depending on what the song was, sometimes we would get through and we'd finish the song and it would just, you know, the audio and, and the video would somehow just go away, but we would keep playing and it would be okay. But there were some songs that very heavily depended on that and it would stop and we would just be hung out to dry on stage. Oh. And this happened many, 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 many times. And, yeah. and until we eventually replaced the server and continued to replace servers, until we've got you know more capable gear uh but i there was a period and it was back in 2003 and, and that server would crash almost every night at least once oh. during the show so we had to have these contingency plans about well when the server crashes you know and of course it's going to we just don't know when uh because it'll be a different song each time uh if it if it crashes at a time when we're backstage and the you know the video's running while we're doing a costume change and the audience is watching the video and it just stops you got dead air well if we're all backstage whoever is the first to be changed into their you know to their costume or, or clothes or whatever would go out and they would do a specific shtick to, to buy some time <laughs> while they rebooted the server my shtick was to go out and do there's this kind of old uh, children's poem from europe called the the tale of little suck a thumb and it was a story about and it's something that i, I learned when i was like 13 and it's just al can call it you know and i could just recite it off the top of my head yeah and um so that was my bit uh if if only al was doing the costume change and it was between songs the video was running and we were all just on stage just waiting for him to come out and the video went down we would go into um a specific song we would go into wipeout for example, and we would oh. play it like in different keys. Everyone would, would be in another key. And we would just do like a standard arrangement so that the server could be rebooted and, and you know, the audience was entertained. If we were all on stage doing a song and it crashed in the middle of a song, and again, depending on which song, then we would at that point go into Radio Radio by Elvis Costello. And there's kind of a story behind that when Elvis uh, appeared on Saturday Night Live and and uh, was going to do radio radio which is a slam at the broadcast industry mm -hmm. and uh, uh they the, the producer said don't we don't want you to do that song and elvis said oh all right and they came out and they started to do this other song i forgot what it was and elvis says wait a minute stop 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 there's no reason to do this song here radio radio and they went into radio radio much to the consternation of the producers and they were not on the show again for another 20 years <laughs> anyway so that's our bit you know the yeah. server would go down we we sort of just like kind of stop and al would go hey, just, there's no reason to do this song here radio radio and he would go into that <laughs> so we we not only we not only were kind of under the gun the whole night wondering when it was going to happen but we had to remember what to do and you know so that was that was a constant problem there were that happened literally every night uh, during yeah. the 2003 tour until yeah. we replaced that server we went through several more iterations of of uh, servers until eventually a few years ago uh we uh switched to mac pros and uh 
those worked very well. We had dual, we had like a redundant system and those worked very well. And, uh, which we continue to use now, I think, um, I mean, I'm not on that end of the things, but, but I mean, I know when that happened and, uh, and that it's been, we rarely have a problem. I mean, it's, it's extremely rare, which is great for our comfort level on stage. Cause we're not kind of just wondering when the boom is going to come down, you know, we, we can actually play and, and, uh, you know, enjoy what we're doing without wondering about, you know, when we're going to have to bail. Yeah. Yeah. The fire so drill it, aspect is never fun. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's been a long time since anything, you know, uh, horrible happened. But uh, there, there have been a couple. So, again, not not me. I mean, I don't even know if I've even broken a snare head or anything, you know, where I had to like, you know, it's, uh, everything has just changed, you know, until I can get another snare up there. I, you know, almost no problems for me. So, you know, th fingers crossed. <laughs> Actually, you mentioned something, uh, snare drum. I had... Heard some interesting stats about the number of drums that you have, um, and at the time, I think you had 111 snare drums. Has that number changed at all? Or are you still uh, in that same world of 111? Uh, it's it's either 110 or 111. Uh, wow. I, I don't. It seems like I sold a snare, although I can't imagine why. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's either I, I think 111 sounds right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's. Uh, but you know, honestly, there's only about five of them that I use. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, there's only two or three. So, you know, truth be told, I, there's some collectible snares in there. But as far as what I use, I could certainly offload, you know, 90, 98% of them. <laughs> and someday, at some point, I will. So, John, if you were going to go on a long road trip with no internet access, but you had a CD player, what's, what are some of the CDs you would bring with you? Oh, boy. Uh well, if no internet, no, I wouldn't go. I would, <laughs> I would, I would, I would stay home. Uh, no, you know, so my desert island discs is what you Pretty uh, much, they yeah. used to call it. The kids yeah. call it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's hard to say. I still like all of the old groups I grew up with. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't listen to the Beatles every day anymore, but I certainly have a, a complete Beatles collection, all the reissued remastered stuff. 100, 150 bootleg CDs, <laughs> uh, all of the solo stuff by all of the guys uh you know a lot of that uh, zappa i would okay. take uh there's uh the monkeys i love uh turtles you know okay. rolling stones uh it took a while at the time i wasn't really into them but eventually i learned to like led zeppelin a lot um i just i like a lot of different uh stuff um i you know i have to look at my cd collection here you know it starts roughly with uh, abba and <laughs> it goes abba to zappa <laughs> and uh, uh elvis a big fan of elvis costello devo uh so again a lot of 60s 70s 80s stuff okay uh, but i i like nirvana as well i mean i would have liked them even if we hadn't done you know one of their songs <laughs> and then done an original based on their songs um you know there's i like a lot of uh, almost anything motown so again 60s and some 70s okay. stuff um but really, mostly older stuff. I, I it would be hard pressed to get me to bring anything much past about two thousand. <laughs> and and as the decades you know go on from the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, you know it diminishes a little bit. <laughs> Very heavy on the sixties, you know, pretty heavy on the seventies, little less of the. Well, you know, now I'm a big fan of new wave stuff and and some of the rock coming out in the eighties. But by the nineties, I'd kind of, you know, lost track of a lot of the bands, and yeah. and the musical styles and. Uh, Past two thousand, not not a whole lot. 
I know that you had mentioned uh, just now Led Zeppelin, and I know they're very tight on what people can use. They don't allow much commercialization, but they did mm. let you use um, a song in Trapped in the Drive Through, which is is pretty cool, right? The yeah yeah well thank you very much you know that we recorded that yes that's not oh yeah okay (laughs) that's that's not a sample although people have accused us of of you know oh that's great they let you use a sample and it's like no they they uh, didn't but there's a there's a and and if you a bead them they're not quite you know it's not quite you know john bonham had a certain feel there was a certain lilt to the way he played and you know that's hard to do you know you can play the parts but it doesn't ever quite feel like Bonham it doesn't ever quite feel like Ringo you know it's just they had a certain feel that they did and that's what made them you know who they are and what made them valuable to those bands you know why someone else just can't come in and do those things and have it be quite the same uh but there's a there's more information behind us using uh that clip and recording that that was I I think that was Al's original choice now that doesn't that doesn't mean anything till I tell you the rest, uh, <laughs> and and he had not heard back from uh, the Led Zeppelin people, and and he thought you know we better we better uh, explore something else you know we'll we'll uh, how about ACDC like back in black it had to be a about eleven or thirteen second instrumental piece that was highly recognizable, and and so there's you know there's that and they got back pretty quick and said no, and Al <laughs> thought well you know. There's there's one, you know, I got got one last thing in my pocket. You know, we can always do my Sharona and <laughs> and, you know, because I know that that, you know, we, we can do that because we've done it. So, you know, we know we know we can do that, you know, and that's recognizable. And, you know, we'll go in, we'll record that. And we did. So I have a recording oh, okay. of us doing the opening for my Sharona. <laughs> Literally the week we were in the studio, Led Zeppelin's people got back and said, OK, yeah, you can go ahead and, and you know, use the, the bit from uh, Black Dog and and so we had this other thing in the can already but that was really that was what al wanted and so we recorded that and so i have i have a mixed recording of us doing uh the opening for my sharona and that does that sounds like the knack it really does sound like the knack. you know uh led zeppelin is a little little harder to get but in context it, it sounded great Oh, yeah. And more than a few people have said, you know, oh, you just, you know, that was cool of them to let you use a sample of their song. It's like, well, it was cool for them to, you know, let us, uh, you know, use it for a percentage. And we recorded <laughs> it. And that that is our recording of that. So I, I uh, you know, that was cool. Yeah. that the, And when we would do the song live, we would do, I, I don't know if we did the whole, it was like an 11 minute piece or something. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't remember if we did the entire 11 minutes, but whatever it was we did, there wasn't a whole lot of live playing because almost all of it was on a track. And there was a video, I think I think there might have been a video running, and Al was singing, except when it came to the Led Zeppelin part. And we would come in and we would play it. Rock. <laughs> and, and then we would have to get out of it. And then the, the, in the meantime, the track is still running because it has to come back in. And it's, so that's my job to make sure the timing was right and that we started and ended in the right place. And, you know, it took a couple of times to get through it and, and, you know, get the feel of it. But after that, it was just, it was really seamless. It was really, it was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun to do that. It's a great song. That really, I, oh. I, I love that. Oh, one. thanks. And <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned, you know, obviously the movie just recently came out um, for you. Uh, what was it like to see yourself portrayed by uh, Tommy O'Brien in the movie to to see 
although a a, a, a version uh, yeah. <laughs> of, of what it what, what it might have been like. What, what was that like though to see yourself up on the screen? It was it was really it was really interesting. I had actually uh, I have and there's like twenty or twenty two guys that had auditioned for my part, and I've got all of their audition tapes. Oh, cool. Not that, and I wasn't involved in the selection process. That's not why I have them. It's just Al, you know, sent those. He said, I thought you might like to have these. And I said, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so I got a chance to watch all these guys, you know, one, be being me, but two, saying things that I never said I mean, <laughs> and, and in situations that never happened. Again, the movie is is largely not true. Sure. And, yeah. and uh, you know, the very few facts in there. The fact that they used our real <laughs> names is is pretty good. Uh it was it was really it was very surreal to watch that and uh al knew early on that that tommy was one of the top choices he says you know you know what do you, what do you think I'll, what do you think of these two or three guys in particular and uh and i had i had to agree that that tommy was was really good but he's also and this is the same for the guys who play jim and steve they also play the instruments that that we play tommy's mm -hmm. a drummer here in la and uh and i have not met him in person but i got in touch with him by email uh, uh, not long ago, and I've only been home from the tour a short time, but at some point I want to get a chance to meet him. But uh, very nice guy, and and uh, one of the things he told me was in, in studying for the part, because now he's playing, as a drummer, he's now playing the part of a drummer, so he's like a little more into this than just some other role that's mm -hmm. maybe not musically oriented. Uh, so he said, you know, in, in kind of, you know, I know you shot a lot of pictures, I was thinking of bringing a camera and just kind of holding it in every scene and just you know, always having a camera with me like like you would have done i said that would have been so cool and al would have absolutely loved that and, and would have, and would have got it and and that would just be one of those little easter eggs for the fans that know and they all know that i always had a camera around uh i said uh tommy you should have done it you should have brought the camera I mean, they can they can uh, Photoshop it in or something. I guess <laughs> I don't I don't know what they do for digital effects or whatever. Yeah. CGI, yeah. 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 We hope you enjoyed the first part of our interview with John Bermuda Schwartz. Check out our next episode where John talks about meeting Weird Al and the beginning of his career. Can't get enough Latchkey Dad content. Well, check out latchkeydads.com. That's right, Greg. On our website, we've got a plethora of photos from each episode, as well as other uh, interesting links to content that we talk about on the show. Yeah, Tim, I really enjoy all the pictures that you put up there as they really bring the episode home. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm not afraid to uh, show those embarrassing photos of my childhood. So, uh, yeah, we encourage you to uh, check out the website, latchkeydads.com, for all that content. Excellent. And if you have a moment, check out our shop page where we've got really cool keychains for sale. If you don't know what to get your dad for Christmas, the holidays, Father's Day, birthday, check it out. It's a cool gift. Tim, did you know that listeners should like, review, and subscribe to the Latchkey Dads podcast? No. <laughs> but now I know. <laughs> no, he's, I know he's at the bottom.